Welcome down to my nine-foot homemade oak bar. Pour yourself a cold one. You are listening to Bucks in the Basement. My name's Chris, and Craig here is the biggest Pirates fan you'll ever meet. Let's talk Pirates baseball now. Welcome to Bucks in the Basement. Now I see the changes in this town. They change, they say one thing, but then the next day. Foot homemade oak bar. Pour yourself a cold one. My name is Chris. His name is Craig. This is Bucks in the basement. Thirty minutes of Bucks for fans by fans. My friend, how are you? I'm not doing too bad, man. I uh, the Steelers lost, and the kids were off today, so I'm probably drinking more than normal. <laughs> it's a, you know what? It's a good picture you just painted for me. I like that. That's that's awesome. That's. That's exactly the way it should be, I believe. At least the drinking part at the end with the kids not around. All right, so the Pirates made some international signings. You have a guest coming up here later on in this show. Who, who are you bringing in to talk about this? Greg Rosenthal, uh, he is from Prospects 1500. They put out a top 50 players list, and we got into a, a decent amount of the, the players where he thinks they're going to move up uh, within the system. And, and I asked him a decent amount about the positions and where he sees our strengths and weaknesses. And so this happened, the interview happened before we did the the international signings, but none of those guys would show up in the top 50 anyway. Well, you know, I mean, the international signings, the, the Pirates go out and they, they put out a little bit over $2 million on their top two international signings. And, and what I was impressed with was not the, not De Los Santos, who's the number 12, according to MLB Pipeline, on the international prospects list going into the international signing period this past weekend. But I'm more impressed with the fact that Charrington's group goes out and grabs this six foot five outfielder, Tony Blanco Jr., who was number 11 on that list and was slated to go to the Rays. And, you know, anytime you can steal a player from the Rays that they're high on, and they want to get, and you swoop in, and you outbid to bring that guy to your team, I don't care if he's 16, 17 years old and he's four years away. I've got to think that that's a good thing. I mean, it's good news for the Pirates. It's it's something that doesn't normally happen. And over the weekend, I mean, I told people, don't confuse your excitement with success. I got a little bit of blowback because people are like, what well, was successful because we took a guy from the Rays. It was successful because... We scouted all these guys and were able to sign them. And and I'm like, yeah, t- to a certain degree, but I've just seen so many of these prospects like down at this age, you know, not make it or not pan out to be what they're supposed to be. So, I mean, I will celebrate it as for what it is, that they were able to do something that prior to this, no other management group within the Pirates was able to do. And that was signed two guys within the top 15 on MLB Pipeline. And to me, that's showing that you can play with the big boys. And that's the way I looked at it, is that you weren't going to shy away and you weren't going to dip down. You weren't going to spread your money out and sign a bunch of guys for like 20 grand and you know throw them against the wall and see who sticks. So for me, that's what more of the, 
I guess I was more impressed with that type of stuff. I mean, this kid, there's it's a lot to be excited about with him if people want to be. I mean, like you said, 6'5", 230. Uh, looks like he's an outfielder pegged for first base or DH. Maybe that's why the Rays weren't willing to go up, you know, as, as high as the Pirates ended up going. And they only went up to like 900000 So it wasn't a ton of money. But this is a kid that, you know, has that power potential. MOE Pipeline says a 40 home run potential. But that's not a 40 home run potential, you know, this year. That's a 40 home run potential in six years. Right. He's a kid. That's what you're doing with these international prospects. I mean, with the exception of the White Sox, who always sign like a guy who's like 23 years old, 24 years old, who's who's defected from Cuba and is going to be in the majors in a couple of years. It seems to be like their wheelhouse. They got Oscar Colas this year, and, and they went out and got Cespedes' brother uh, last year. I mean, that, that's what they do. Everybody else on that list is, is 16, 17 years old. These are, these are lotto tickets in the hopes that they develop into something years down the line. But I, I like I want to and I'm impressed the Pirates went out and spent a little bit of money to get in that top 15 and get two guys in that top 15. On the other hand, there's probably another step there. Like eventually you kind of want them to grab one of the top five guys and take that little bit over of six million dollars in international signing pool money and drop like a two million dollar, two point five million dollar contract if it's on the right guy, because you know, that should always be available. Your organization, though, has to do scouting way in advance. You have to be you have to be active in these markets. And then you have to be uh, you have to forge relationships with these kids to get them to say, well, I'd rather have the two and a half million coming from the Pirates than the two and a half million coming from the Yankees. And then and that's the next step in this. But it's a positive move to see them grab two guys at 11 and 12 on that international prospect list. Yeah, and last year they got they got Shaylin Polanco, who was, I believe, 11 on the list. They gave him $2.35 million. So it was kind of nice. But then people are asking you, like, why don't you do what some of the teams did in the top five this year is they took, like, $4.5 million, you know, and, and threw it at a kid. And at some point in time, you, I feel like if you start to, you know, build up that system the way that the Pirates are going – and, you know, they took 18 guys on the first day here. Um, they're still, you know, out there trying to sign the uh, the Taiwanese pitcher. And I'm going to butcher his name, Chris. And I know that you love when I butcher names. Chang Hung Leng, 20-year-old kid, kind of in the same the same framework of when they went out and they got Po Yu Chen uh, a couple years ago. And he started, he that, that type of guy who's like a 20-year-old Taiwanese pitcher, like Po Yu Chen started in the, the FCL this year. He moved his way up to low A Bradenton. So that that would be a guy that you would be seeing a lot sooner. These kids right here are probably going to get two full years in the DSL before they even make it towards the States. That might be the FCL. So it might be, unless they're one of those, you know, helium-type guys that kind of comes from out of nowhere, we didn't get a Wander Franco. So you don't expect that. But you're not going to see these guys play even in the low A's probably for at least three years. You know, I'm trying to figure this out here. I don't know if this is a misprint on MLB Pipeline. How is Tony Blanco an international prospect and his birthplace was Boston? (laughs) How does that? Hold on a second. I don't get this. I'm guessing. Is that a typo? Because, like, think about this. Like, one of the things, and maybe we'll get into it on the back half of the show, 
that they made their proposals. You know, I think it was the owners made their proposals to the players or some things finally being talked about during this lockout. And one of the things that was floated was the idea of an international draft, which would change how this whole process works, right? To throw these guys into more of a draft thing. And, you know, I mean, it is different how they make their money. I mean, well, his, his dad, his dad was in the majors, so he was born in the United States when his dad. So why was, is he an international prospect? I don't get that. Well, dual citizenship, Chris. Oh my god! And then, he, and then his family moves back, and he's been he's been growing up in uh, in the Dominican Republic. Th- th- that's a scam. Come on, man. Sixteen. He's sixteen years old. Is that what he is? Sixteen or seventeen years old? He's sixteen years old, and he just picked up nine hundred thousand dollars because he's an international prospect who was born in Boston. Well, that's what happens when you're, you know, six foot five, 230 pounds. It, Chris, Chris, he's probably 20. I mean, he's probably 20. <laughs> We're in the middle of the lockout here, and there's one thing for sure that's going to happen, and that is the minor league baseball season is going to start on time. Fingers crossed, unless something else crazy happens in this world, which has been happening to us for about two years now, so... I probably shouldn't mark, you know, the calendar yet, but it is something we can definitely talk about. And so this time I was I was browsing Twitter, came across another prospect list uh, for the Pirates, and this one really caught my eye. And it's from Prospects 1500, Greg Rosenthal, and the handle caught me as well. At Buckfish67, Greg, how you doing today, brother? I'm great, Craig. Thanks for having me on. Absolutely, man. And and I I know that everybody loves prospect lists, and I probably love them more than others, um, but I like the way that yours was broken out. I, I liked the tiers. I liked the way that you talked about where the players could be at and and just kind of really, you know, put it out there for fans as to where you thought players were going to end up in their minor league careers as well as possibly their major league careers and the type of impact they could have on the team. And it's not a list that you see a lot out there. Well, thanks for the kind works. At Prospects 1500, we have a a tier system where we try to uh, make sure that that each team has a a tier set up so that uh, the reader can sort of evaluate or see our evaluation of, of where we think these prospects fit, not just within the team, but overall around the league. And for example, the tier one are, are players that we uh, view as potential all-stars, multi-year all-stars. And uh, I'm excited to say that the Pirates have four of them in my view. Yeah, and I was going to say that maybe making that first tier was a little bit easy, but as the way you explained it, it, it might be a little bit more difficult because I was going to ask you, were, the, were there some guys uh, that you saw in the, the tier two range that you had a hard time, you know, not wanting to to bump up to that tier one. Um, actually, I wanted to put uh, Piguero, Leo Piguero, who's number five on my list, and Ronsi Contreras, number six on the list, into tier one. Uh, but you know, it was a pretty it's a pretty strict you know tier system uh, that we use with our at our site, and I just could not see that Piguero and Contreras could be multi time all-stars i do think they'll both be above average major league uh, players and could see an all-star game here or there but i just i see them just a slight tick below the four guys in tier one which are o- o- o'neill cruz uh nick gonzalez henry davis and quinn priester 
Yeah, and and I can see. I, I feel like you might get a little bit of pushback on that from from people, uh, just because of of how high you know some of the Pirates fans have become on prospects. But you're showing that struggle even within yourself that you would you want them to be that. You're hoping that they will be that, but you're you're kind of like regulating yourself a little bit and saying, you know what, I'm I'm just going to pump the brakes here a little bit and and I do see a good future for those guys, but can I really see, you know, especially with like a, you know, Lever Peguero who hasn't been above high A. Ronzi Contreras kind of came out of nowhere last year. Um will some of the teams catch up with him? Will he stay up, you know, in the the 97 98 range, which is something he had never really done in his career? Uh, just a, a lot of different stuff going on with those guys. Uh, but moving down the list just a little bit further, I see Matthew Frazier finds himself at 14 above, you know, a bunch of the guys that that were protected, uh, a Kanan Smith and Jigba. Uh, you have to go down the, the list even further to find uh, like a Jack Swinski, uh, Cal Mitchell not protected, but... Uh, only one other guy who was protected, uh, Travis Swaggerty, finds himself above. So, so Matthew Frazier uh, has really jumped onto the scene this year. Yeah, he had a breakout season in, in, in 21, uh, and no reason to think that he's not going to take that next step. He'll probably start in, in AA again this year, and then uh, at some time during the season, if he's performing, AAA is waiting for him. Uh, he doesn't need to be added to the 40-man this year, so he sort of has that uh, he doesn't have to worry about that like um, Swaggerty and, and Kanan Smith and Jacob did this year. If he performs this season like he did last, uh, the sky's the limit for this guy. He's a center fielder. He has power. He has speed. He's performed at uh, at high A and double A. He's a little bit, he was a little bit old for high A, but I, I think that concern was sort of allayed the way he performed in double A. And you got, I believe you got to see him in Altoona, didn't you? Yeah, yeah, I I did get to see him play play once in Altoona. He is with him and Kanan Smith and Jigba on the same field. They they are both not small men. Uh, they 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 could take up. Uh, they could make a shadow on the roller coaster. Those two guys. <laughs> I love that roller coaster. It's, I've been up to Altoona one time, and that that's that, that's just a great accessory. Oh, it's it's absolutely amazing, and and. I've always wanted to be like I've never rode the roller coaster during a game, and I've kind of always wanted to do that, just to to get that vantage point of the game and maybe see you know a fly ball coming out that way, one of the one of the bombs from one of the guys or something, and and actually be on the roller coaster where it happens. But I haven't done that yet. Yeah, I don't think you want to do it with O'Neill Cruz up to bat or Mason Martin up to bat. <laughs> no, those guys, those guys. I I don't want. I don't know if I want to see those ones. Those ones flying at me. I want to kind of go back up the list a little bit because a couple other guys that caught my eye that that you you listed high and and I know they're they're highly ranked prospects, but projecting out for like a Bubba Chandler and Anthony Solomedo, how difficult is that to to move those guys into like the tier two and, and to put them as guys that could be or that you see as being you know regular contributors at some point on a major league squad. Doing a ranking like this, Craig, is is a challenge uh, because uh, you have to weigh potential and, and, and skill and versus performance. And guys like Miguel Uhure, who's at ten, and Carmen Majinski at eleven, they've actually put some stats out there. They've put some uh, performance, you know, on their on their ledger. They performed at high A and 
And he, in Yohuri's case, he's made it to the major leagues. Uh, so it's difficult to put a guy like Chandler or a guy like Solomedo ahead of them when all they have done is, is a few games in the Florida Complex League. But, but I, I couldn't look past the talent. I couldn't look past, uh, in Solomedo's case, I couldn't look past the total lack of left-handed in, in the system when it comes to pitching. And he, he is so far away the best left-handed pitching prospect that the Pirates have that, that I couldn't ignore that. And that was one of the reasons why, the primary reason why I put him ahead of two guys with, with uh, more experience. More, more often than not, I will err on the side of proximity, the guys that are closer to the major leagues, the guys who have, who have put up good numbers in, in the higher levels of the minor leagues. But in this case, I could not look past Solomedo's talent and the fact that he's left-handed and and probably the top lefty uh, in the draft class that he, that that just uh, was drafted in 2021. Yeah, I mean he and he's got that funky delivery, but he's got that I stuff under control. Uh, I, it's actually it's fun to watch, uh, just because it's it's not something you see all the time, and you think that he's his arms either going to fly off or the ball's going to go flying, you know, over the catcher's head or something. But he he definitely has that wrangled in the other thing i noticed here is is we only have we've been like everybody's been talking about how there's there's so much catching depth within the pirate system and i know that there is more than there was previously but if you go from henry davis and then you go down to andy rodriguez who's not guaranteed to stick as a catcher he could and then you have to go and I keep on scrolling down to Abraham Gutierrez at 32, and then Carter Bins, uh, who is just off the list. Is there a lot of pressure on Henry Davis to succeed at this point? Greg, not as much as you'd think. I wrote an article back in September on Prospects 1500 that I invite you and, and your listeners to, to read. Um, and I wrote that article back in September about the change uh, in, in the pirate system regarding catching prospects in particular. Two years ago, there was nobody in the Pirates' top 50, whether on the Pirates' prospects, uh, on the Prospects' 1500 list or any other list out there. Uh, it was a, a wasteland for, for catching in the Pirates' system. Now there's, sure, there's three guys in my top 50. There's a fourth guy in Carter Bins that's just off the list. And, yet, and, and even below that, there's a guy named uh, Giovanni Blanchard, who was in the Florida Complex League, who maybe this time next year is on the top 50 in, for 2023. So um, short answer, Henry Davis has some pressure, but he doesn't have to be um, – he's, he's not the only uh, last hope for catchers in the Pirates system. Um, it, it would be the be- best thing for the Pirates if he was able to be a serviceable average major league defensive catcher because his hitting um, and, and power uh, – are so above average, so you know, all-star level potentially, that that he's he's the best hope for for a positive future outcome you know, at an all-star level. But Andy Rodriguez, while at the beginning of last year, I would have agreed with you that he's no sure thing to be a catcher. By the end of the 2021 season, he had made great strides in in all areas in throwing uh, throwing out runners at second, blocking balls, calling the games. Um, he was he was by far my favorite uh, uh, Marauder player. He was the team leader. He was the uh, 
the, the, the focal point. He was the guy that they rallied around. I saw a game on a Sunday afternoon where he didn't even play, and he was the loudest voice in the dugout. He was speaking Spanish. He was speaking English. He's the guy that that team rallied around. He was the league MVP. And sure, if he sticks a catcher, all the better. But he's a guy who's a switch-hitting uh, talent, and, he, and he'll, they'll find a place for him, believe me. Everybody, go check out the list. Uh, and and Greg is is very receptive uh, to any questions, any pushback you may have. Just have some discussions about baseball. Uh, go follow him, Buckfish sixty seven. Read his stuff at Prospects fifteen hundred. Greg, thanks for jumping on, brother. Can't wait to do it again. All right, sounds great. I had a good time. I look forward to doing it again. to do stuff now the the owners and the players when it comes to this mlb lockout i still believe they're gonna they're gonna start opening day on time this might cut a little bit into spring training but the whole goal here is to put pressure on the players by making them have to decide between is this a good enough deal for me personally or uh do i want to skip games do i want to do i want to stay away from the facilities and it's a, it's a pressure move put on by the owners. What are your thoughts over the last week, what you've seen uh, since we last talked, Craig? Well, with the owners, uh, they put out pretty much moving slightly off of some stuff where they're, you know, like we talked about last week, Chris, they, they bumped up the minimum salary a little bit in the first year and did like a tiered system for the first three years. They talked about a way of getting away from manipulating time, which is something that's, you know, big into the players that are on the younger end. And they talked about how they could, you know, institute something where kids that were in that Super 2 area could get paid more. So everything that's going there is going towards the younger players, you know, just kind of like we talked about. They talked about the lottery, and they talked about the first three draft picks and that's that would be the lottery system and you couldn't be in the first three for three years in a row like how often does that even happen well the astros did it remember the astros tanked for a while they had number one picks for a long time but yeah, you're right but it, anybody, it's a rarity but the, the pirates the pirates have been terrible chris right and they got seven one and four so that wouldn't even affect them it could be like we could tank here and and still kind of tank and be fourth and then get the number one pick again. So I don't know what that really does. Like, I like that proposal, but what I would say is make the lottery be the first seven picks or the first 10, something crazy like that. I mean, maybe, maybe not 10, seven picks sounds like it would be interesting. And then if you end up in the lottery three years in a row, if they extend it, if they extended that from the top three to the top seven, and you couldn't be in the top seven, three years in a row, that right there might that would have some sort of an impact on some teams. I would see that happen more often. But I, that's the whole thing. They're gonna they're gonna propose things, asking for like crazy things, like only the first three. Because at the negotiating table, if the players pull on the seven, they're okay with seven. That's how negotiating works. Yeah. So I mean, that's their initial proposal. The the players are supposed to act like they hate it. But deep down, there's probably a few things in there they really like. I mean, there's no way the players don't like universal DH. It tells older players 
you can stick around longer. It tells younger players who may not be very good at defense sitting in AAA, who are those kind of guys that kind of float around, and if they brought them up here, they could be a DH, but there really isn't a spot for them in the field, that you now have value. And teams will be, you watch, if they, if they institute that, there are a couple of AAA players that don't have a spot on a roster on some of these, these better higher-end teams that are around Major League Baseball. You'll see them get dealt to National League teams looking for a DH. I guarantee it. There's going to be guys that are going to be just like just sent out to other teams. It, I think it's really interesting. I think it's something that's definitely happening. I don't see how the players wouldn't want it. So I think that that's happening. I don't think the Pirates will ever see a pitcher bad again, based upon what I'm reading. You you will have a DH on the Pittsburgh Pirates in 2022. Yeah, and it seems like it's it's a ground where, you know, I think the owners like it to a degree. I know they talked about how, you know, in the beginning, the owners wouldn't like that because that's like another player that they have to pay a decent amount of money to. And for some of the guys, yeah, but if you looked around even the American League this past year to, to the DHs, it's not like you probably have like one or two or three of those guys that are like those prototypical DHs that a team brings in and pays them like $10 million and, you know, just tells them to hit the cover off the ball. The rest of them are just like, Hey, here's another guy. It's it's there's, there's older players. There's older players that will benefit from a universal DH. You'll they'll get an extra, they'll get an extra year or two in a contract because the general manager will then know I can move him to DH when his legs start to go out when he's 34, 35 years old. You know what I mean? Like, oh, that, and that's where the players, I mean, the players should like it. And I just didn't think the owners would in the beginning because they, everybody talks about how it would cost like more money because it's like paying, you know, a, an actual person who's going to have to hit the ball as opposed to another bench piece. But I see some teams use it as uh, just a spot to give a couple guys some rest. It's It's more of like, hey, Here's like, we have two first basemen, a couple outfielders. This guy's actually really not that great at outfield. We don't want to have him out there all the time, so right. we could put him in DH a couple days a week. And like you said, extending players. So I I feel like it benefits both sides. That's one that I think is kind of like a lock. I think that, you know, at some point in time, when this does come back, I mean, there will be expanded playoffs. The owners, the owners are not walking away without expanded playoffs. But that's the thing that the players can hold the owners up for. That's the one thing that Absolutely. the players know that the owners want, and they are going to probably get pressed to pick the one thing they want the most and put that up against the extended playoffs. They're going to say, we don't want that, even though it means more money for them. Let's be honest. It means more guys get playoff bonuses, more guys you know, get, uh, get postseason experience, more guys have an opportunity to be highlighted and end up being the star of the postseason and make more money. I mean, I'm sure that's how it's being presented. Like, this benefits you too, but the player's going to act like, we don't want this, right? This is, oh, you're making us work longer. You know, there's more labor. More hours are being used here. But in the end, it's going to benefit both. But that's the thing that the players will try to hold on to to get the one thing they care about the most. And I think the one thing they really care about the most is trying to find a way to to rid the service time manipulation. Yeah. And and I thought some of the owner's proposals on service time manipulation were interesting. The idea that if a guy ends up in the all-star game, then, you know, they're going to race whether or not you held the guy down for the first couple of weeks. You know, there's all these different like, like things that, that, that loosen their service time because they came up and they performed so well in their rookie season, you know, but the players don't like, they never want to tie 
an accomplishment to performance. That's something the union's not going to want to do. Yeah. So I think what they're going to try to do is they're going to try to say, look, you want to expand in playoffs. Uh, we want it to be, you know, five years instead of six years, or at least five years if you're at a certain age. Like, let's say, like, it's it's either six years like it is now to get the free agency, essentially, or it's five years if you get past a certain age and you're not a free agent yet. Okay, if you get to 28 or 29 or something like that. And I think that's where it's going to end. But again, the owners don't want them to ask for anything more than what they're willing to give up. And that's why we're pressing now. That's why we're we're putting out proposals that the, the, the players hate because they want to end up in a certain spot. Yeah, and the one proposal that, that came out, like the one thing that came out before this lockout happened that I laughed at in the beginning, but the more I think about it for the players was that little bit of like a war-based salary for players that fall into those categories. It's just for arbitration, too. Just for arbitration, that it was like, okay, you know, and and I would say that you could even talk the ownership into bringing that into that Super 2, like that, 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 that second, that when those players get stuck in that second and third year, like a Brian Reynolds, who this year was, you know, worth more war than, than what he was paid, obviously, that there would be like some some middle ground there that if you reached so much war during that, you know, that little spot before you reach arbitration in your third year, that you would be able to, you know, somehow based on, you know, your performance to be able to make a little bit more money. I, I thought it was silly to begin with, but the more I think about it, I'm just like, kind of makes sense. Like to a degree, if you could use and you'd have to choose, you know, if it's you'd have to agree on whether it's B war or F war or somebody else's war or a combination of the two. M war, Manfred war. It's Manfred war. Manfred war. <laughs> it's it's starting it's starting to make a little bit more sense to me as to allowing the players to be paid for you know what they're actually doing instead of having Brian Reynolds be like a five six war player and make like. 600 grand. Can you imagine Brian Reynolds walking in after the deal is signed? And uh, he's like, uh, all right, uh, this is my arbitration year. I uh, I was a seven war. And uh, they go, no, 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 no. You were a, you were a one end war. What's an end war? Nutting war. <laughs> <laughs> Seriously undervalues all the players keep salary down. End war. Here are your pesos, sir. <laughs> now I see the changes in this town they change they say one thing but